So, if you have your Bible, and I hope you do, because we're going to be looking at it, and I want you to turn to Acts 13. Acts 13, and we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 3. Acts 13, verses 1 through 3. Now, we're going to be looking at six practices of a world changers. But if you see in your notes there that you have, uh, our world outreach, this is my prayer, that our world outreach will be a everyone-to-everywhere God moment. You say, what in the world is an everyone-to-everywhere God moment? Well, here's how I would define that. It's where God breaks our hearts with the reality that everyone, everywhere, needs to hear the gospel, and I have a part to play in that. Now, I, I could lead you through six different... Uh, and I've done this because I, I really look back at my life and like, where did this all begin for me? And uh, there's several paths in that. You know, one time, uh, the, really the initial was going to Mexico with what was then Glenwood Baptist Temple, our church here, and going to, with them on a short-term missions campaign. And it just broke my heart. And opened my heart as a teenager. Then I went to Liberty University and got on a missions team. And uh, that summer of my freshman year, found myself on the banks of the Amazon River in Brazil. And that's really where it just hit me. I could have been born right here in the deep jungles of the Amazon. As I looked at the people living in those huts and living on that riverside that we had to reach by boat, I realized that everyone, everywhere, needs to hear the gospel. And I not only have a part to play, but I want to play a part in that. I don't know what that is, and I didn't know what it was at that time, but it broke into my heart. And so I'm praying that that could be that, and it will be that for some of you this week. But I would challenge you. I would challenge you. Okay, well, watch the Chiefs game. We're going to win. That's going to be exciting. Uh, Some of you have grow group tonight. But take some time to ask yourself, have I ever had an everyone to everywhere God moment? Where is it that God broke my heart with the reality That everyone everywhere needs the gospel and that I have a role to play in it. Well, I want to, we want to look at six practices of breaking that down to say, well, what could I do? And so if you look in your notes, it begins over here. Everyone everywhere who loves the Lord. If you're here this morning and you know the Lord, everyone everywhere. It's not just here, though. It's not just the United States. It's every country of every world, every people group who knows the Lord and loves the Lord can, is, needs to be involved in these six practices. Sending and going, praying and giving, welcoming and mobilizing. Why? So that many from everyone everywhere will learn to love the Lord. They will know the Lord. They will grow in the Lord. They will show the Lord in their life. And they will go with the Lord. And so it's a process. And all along the bottom here, notice, it is a lifelong learning process motivated by a love for the Lord. So when I was standing there 
in Mexico as a goofy, skinny, scrawny, curly-headed, red-headed, more hair than I have now, teenager. I didn't know any of this, okay? But I knew that I loved the Lord, and He was breaking into my heart. When I stood on the banks of the Amazon, I had a little more knowledge. I was a, Well, I, I thought I had all the knowledge. I was a freshman in Bible college. You know everything then. And, uh, and again, didn't know where that was or what. Didn't, couldn't even write all this out. That's not the point. The point was, it's a lifelong learning process. And much of this, especially this part, I just learned five years ago, seven years ago, going through perspectives of the World Christian Movement, that class that I'm a teacher on. I, I, I've learned, so I'm still learning. I hope you are still learning and still growing. Well, let me make seven practical observations off of this chart of these six practices. And here's the first practical observation. Everything begins and ends with loving the Lord Jesus Christ and wanting others to love Him as well. That, it's real simple. Love the Lord your God with all your mind, with all your heart, with all your strength, and love others as yourself. Everything begins and ends with a love for the Lord. And I hope that in this class, the last few weeks, going through the Hallelujah Psalms, 146 to 150, has helped you see, especially last week, The idea that in Psalm 150, the last verse of the book of Psalms says, Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. And we looked at Psalm 67, and here was the prayer of Psalm 67. God, be gracious to us and bless us, and cause your face to shine upon us. Why? That your way may be known on the earth, your salvation among all nations. Why? Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let the peoples praise you. Missions exist because worship doesn't. And it begins with a heart of worship. We'll see that again here in a moment. In fact, in Acts 13, verse 2, while they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, that's where missions came out of. So let's let me let me turn there and let's read Acts 13 before we go any farther. Acts 13 verses 1 through 3. Notice what it says. Now there were at Antioch in the church that was there prophets and teachers and here's their names Barnabas and Simeon who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene and Manion who had been brought up with Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul, who later became Paul. While they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, there's the context. They were ministering to the Lord because they loved the Lord. The Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, And they sent them away. They sent them on the first missionary journey, missions in the New Testament. And we often see this passage as a sending passage, and it is, but it also reflects all six of these practices. So that's everything begins and ends with loving. All that happens 
on the missions and acts began with ministering and loving the Lord. Secondly, every Christian everywhere will be motivated by at least one main practice. So when you think about these six practices, sending and going, praying and giving, welcoming and mobilizing, every Christian is going to be attracted by one of those more than the others, but we are to practice all of them. So when I look at those six practices, I gravitate, I know I'm a mobilizer. But you know what? I was mobilizing before I knew I was mobilizer. Okay, I went to this class and I learned these categories. I didn't know all these categories. I certainly didn't think about mobilizing and welcoming. And then I'm like, oh, well, this is what I've been doing for the last 30 years. I've been mobilizing people. And it, it, which means you don't have to know this to do it. But if you're doing it, it's nice to know what you're doing. Does that make sense? It's always nice to know. Oh, okay, this is, this is how God shaped me. I want you to figure out. And learn by doing what your main emphasis is. But look at number three. The third observation is this. As we move through different seasons of life and stages of maturity, different practices will take on different emphasis. Will take on greater emphasis. So, I'm thankfully not the same teenager I was when I was 17 went on that missions thing. I'm not the same guy I was as a freshman uh, at Liberty, and Gwen's thankful for that. Um, I've grown, I've learned in different seasons. We're empty nesters now. And so you go through these seasons, and different phases of this will take on greater emphasis. But let me say this to you. Do not delay getting involved in these six practices until you reach a certain season or stage of life. You can be involved in all of these, no matter what season, what stage of life. And so that's number four I want you to see. Every Christian everywhere will strive to put all six into practice. So you'll be attracted, motivated by one more than the others, But we need to put them all into practice. There's people with the gift of giving, and they just love to give to missions. There's people who are shaped to be intercessors. They just love to pray. They can't help but pray. And they're attracted to praying for our missionaries. But we need to all be involved in all of that. And number five is this. Every Christian, everywhere, should pursue all six practices through their local church, through their local church. Because here's the bottom line. You're never really going to be able to do all six of these without the local church. You give through the local church, and we're able to get those funds to the people that need them. Okay, We're going to see this in a moment. All of this happens. And that's why I want you to read Acts 13, 1 through 3, because in that local church, we're going to see here in a minute, all six of these practices are taking place. In fact, I have there in your notes, I, I, I've identified them so that you can see them. So notice, now there were, there were at Antioch in the church that was there, learning 
Okay, that church came through a learning and a growth process. They didn't like plant the church on Monday and on Tuesday say, let's send out missionaries. No, it was years in the making. It was a process from Acts 11 to Acts 13. So they were learning. And then there were prophets and teachers. Those were the church leaders. And they led the church in mobilizing. Let's send these guys out. Let's, let's be mobilized for missions. And then notice it was Barnabas and Simeon who was called Niger. Niger means black. He was probably a North African Christian who was of African descent. And then you got Lucius of Cyrene. There's another island in a country. And then Mannion, who had been brought up with Herod. He was kind of a rich guy or a privileged guy. Maybe he was a servant of Herod, but he had uh, connections. And then you had Saul, the persecutor. You know, the guy that got saved, but everybody wasn't too sure about him. And so what do you see there? You see a church that was welcoming and it was reflected in the people and the leaders of that church. They were welcoming while they were ministering to the Lord and fasting. There's the loving of the Lord. Then notice it says the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me, set apart for me. These two guys, that's giving. Because ultimately, all we do is given unto the Lord as a sacrifice that's pleasing to him. And then notice Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them going. I want to send them. Then when they had fasted and prayed, there's praying again, laid hands on them and they sent them away. Sending. So there you go in this passage. So here's what I want you to do. When you look at Acts 13, don't think just sending. I want you to think the six practices of a world changer, of a world Christian, of a global disciple. They're all there. Number six, here's the sixth observation. These six practices can be explained as three pairs of two interrelated practices that depend on one another and lead to fulfilling the other pairs. So, um, can you take me back to that that uh, the chart? So look there in your notes, and you see the chart. These pairs. Look at that. Woo! There you go. You're fine. So the, these are six, but they're not isolated. Sending and going. They they work off. You know, you can't go unless you're sent, and if you're sending, someone's going. Okay. Praying and giving go together. Listen to me. Listen to me. If you're truly praying for our missionaries like we seek to do each week, if you're praying for them, your heart's going to be moved to what? To give to them. And if you're giving to them through faith promise, what are you going to naturally want to do? Pray for them. Why? Because where your treasure is, that's where your heart... And then welcoming and mobilizing. Listen, you're not and I'm not, our church isn't going to be concerned about mobilizing people for missions if we don't welcome people into our church who are different from us. Okay, that was the real revelation for me. Not that I didn't have that attitude. I just never, no one had ever talked to me about welcoming. Okay, so I mean, why would we care about uh, people in Africa hearing the gospel, if we 
run into African Muslims, Muslims at grocery store and we aren't burdened for them. Instead, we step back and say, they're different. That's weird. They don't belong here and have that kind of mentality. So I want you to see they all go. And here's the thing. If, if we're sending and going, they don't send and go without praying and giving. And we're not going to be motivated to pray and give if we're not motivated to welcome and mobilize. So I hope you see that. And then finally, here's the seventh thing I want to uh, want you to see is that all of this is a lifelong learning process motivated by love for the Lord in all people groups. So if right now you're here this morning, you're like, whoa, this is a lot. I have to start doing these six things tomorrow. I'm barely surviving my life as it is. Well, it's a lifelong learning process, okay? I started when I was 17, when I got saved. And I was plugged into this local church, and then I followed the leading of the Lord, and along the way, came back to this church. But here's my point. It's through the church that I've learned this. It's through interacting with you all and interacting and sitting under the Word of God. So it's a lifelong learning process. So here's what I want to do for our remaining times. I want to look at each of these six practices so that you have this mentality going into world outreach. So let's take a look at them. Six practices of world changers or world Christians. I don't care what you call them as long as you do it, okay? Here it is. Number one, the practice of sending. Well, what's that, Chris? It's setting apart and supporting those who have been sent by the Holy Spirit and their local church to cross cultural barriers to make disciples. So it's not just being called into the ministry. It's being sent to another culture, another people group. Acts 13, 3. They laid their hands on them and they sent them away. So here's a definition in your notes. Sending is the practice of the local church being led by God the Spirit to set apart those called by God the Father to share the gospel of God the Son in another culture. Missions is Trinitarian. Missions is the Trinity on mission. And if you come Thursday night, you're going to hear Professor Joe Allen talk about the Trinity and missions. And I'm sure it's going to be very good. I've never heard him, so I'm anticipating great things. Now, out of all the other six practices that we're going to talk about, this one in particular involves the whole church. The whole church. So here's what I want you to realize. Missionaries don't send themselves, okay? They are sent by God through a local church. So let's take a look at who's coming. So Jim and Sharon Smith, okay, are coming, and they were missionaries for many years in Ecuador. I'll have more to say on them in a moment, but they were missionaries in Ecuador. Then they worked in the missions office of the Baptist Bible Fellowship. Then now they have their own ministry where they go use their Latin American contacts all over Latin America and even Tijuana and, and, and there in Mexico to equip leaders with a lifetime of experience. Is that awesome? That's awesome. 
Then the Ballingers are going to be here. They have been sent out by their local church, and we support them. We support the Smiths, and we support the Ballingers, okay? And you have these... Uh, you have the handouts there on your table, and they are going to an East Asia country. You can see it on your notes. We don't like to put that out on social media for their protection. And then we don't support these two. They're coming seeking support because they have been sent. They are going. They have been sent. The Penners in Belgium, and then you met the Quinlans, or at least Michael, this morning. So these folks have been sent. But listen, each of us, each of us can be involved in the sending process, all right? And that's why we have Celebrate Unplugged Sunday night. This coming Sunday night, we'll be down here and we take the Lord's, uh, Lord's Supper together so that we can lay hands on these missionaries and send them again with a refreshed heart. Isn't that good? Plus, our church, we have two young people or they were young people, out of our church that are missionaries. Uh, Nikki Howell, who is now Nikki Nisley, and then Lynn Barr, who is now Lynn Schmidt, are people who have been sent, raised up, and sent that we they have connection with our church. Cindy, there you go. Practice number two, the practice of going. Okay, you can't send if no one wants to go. The practice of going. What is that, Chris? It's following the leading of the Spirit in partnership with the local church to cross barriers, cultural barriers, and build bridges for the gospel. So notice, again, Acts 13, 3. It said, they sent them away for the work to which I have called them. So we're sending people who are led to be going. So look at the definition in your notes. You say, Chris, what's going? Going is the practice of crossing cultural barriers in order to build bridges for the gospel in both long-term and short-term commitments. Now, let me say this. Now more than ever in the work of missions, we need people who make long-term commitments to missions. Uh, One of the sad realities that our missions commission, our missions team has to face is particularly younger couples quitting after raising all their money, going through all that difficulty, going to the field. And, uh, you know, and some of them we have been closely knit to, we've been closely tied to, and they have to answer to the Lord, and that's okay. And we, we love them, and we, we, support, you know, we, we, we support them in, in what, where God's leading them. But listen, we need long-term commitment. And let me tell you why, or let me explain to you a couple long-term commitments. The Smiths are going to be with us. They have been involved with missions from the time they were approved to go 44 and a half years. Can we get a woot woot or a glory hallelujah? 44 and a half years. You want to meet somebody that has that kind of commitment. Amen. And they just celebrated, we saw a couple weeks ago, their 35th year anniversary of their leadership seminary and institute in Ecuador. How cool is that? That's long. Listen, you don't build something that is still existing 
35 years after you've left if you don't have long-term commitment. That doesn't happen in one year. That doesn't happen in five years. That happens with blood, sweat, prayer, and the practice of world-changing Christians to make it happen. The Ballingers have been in their particular country, which you know is a very hard country, for now 17 years. Now, that's kind of mind-blowing. feel like they just went there yesterday, right? Two years of raising support, 15 years of being there. Listen, you are not going to reach the unreached that they're reaching. You're not going to reach the unreached that they are reaching in that country if you don't stick it out there. And sadly, one of their partners came back. And okay, if you're, if you're not meant to be there, then don't, don't be there. Okay, that's going to cause problems. But listen, we got to have some long-term commitment. And that's where our prayers come in. And that's where our giving comes in. That's where all these practices. And then let me have a word to you parents, okay? And I know we have different stages and ages and all that going on, which I'm glad for our class. But parents, and no matter what age your kids are, need to be willing to not only let your children go to be missionaries, but intentionally encouraging them that this is a good thing and it's a God thing. Listen, I'm reading a book on how to mobilize Gen Z. Okay, so Gen Z is like my daughter's age. Okay, range in that area. Listen, they are the first generation... To grow up in a fully digital world and to grow up in a post-Christian, post-modern, post-truth, and a post-missions culture. Missions is, is seen in our culture, in our society as colonialism, as, as abusing indigenous tribes, and, and it's, it's a negative. And they are swimming in that. Listen, parents... But here's the, here's the harder thing. Listen to this stat. Polster George Barna's research shows only 35% of engaged Christian parents. So we're talking about active parents, parents who are actively engaged as Christians. Only 35% of parents of young adults say they would definitely encourage their children to serve in missions. Only 35% would encourage, while 25% are not open to the idea at all. One out of four engaged Christian parents are opposed to their kids being missionaries. Why? Career success and physical safety were among their top concerns in their perceptions and attitudes regarding missions involvement. Nearly half... 47% of parents either strongly or somewhat agreed, quote, I'd rather my child get a well-paying job than be a career missionary. And that's heartbreaking. That is heartbreaking. That does not bode well for the future of missions. Okay? And yet, now listen, here's the disconnect. And yet, Barna's study on Christian parents encouragingly found that 95% responded, I would be able to trust God to watch over my child if he or she chose to serve as a missionary. 
So do you see the disconnect? It's like the disconnect about hell. I believe there's a hell. I just don't believe anybody I love is going to go there. I believe 98% God can take care of my child on the mission field. I just, one out of four, don't want him or her going there. Now, that doesn't mean you, you glorify missionaries to your kids and you're a loser if you don't become a missionary. That You know that's not our attitude around it. That's why I'm teaching the six practices of a world changer. You can be a doctor. You can be a scientist. You can be an art teacher. You can be whatever it is that God has called you to be. But you need to be a world-changing Christian. But parents, we need... We need to be opening the door. We need to encourage and buy our practice. And listen, that's why you come as a family to World Outreach. That's why we have things for your kids, for World Outreach. Because we should be encouraging our kids that if, you know, God may call you to be a missionary. And if he doesn't call you, then you can be a sender of those that are going. Okay, I probably sat on that one long enough. I, that, those stats blew me away, and it's, it's a reality. You know what the hardest thing is about planning our world outreach? Is getting new missionaries. Where are the new missionaries? I mean, I don't, I don't come up with them in my office. I mean, where are they? It's getting harder. And then when they don't stay, well, then who do we invite? So this is reality. Okay, practice number three. Sending and going... Require, first of all and most of all, praying. Praying. So, here's what I would challenge all of us, but also parents, is pray that the Lord would guide your children. Pray that they w- the Lord would guide you. So, here's the practice. We say, what's the practice of praying? It's asking the Lord of the harvest to send more laborers, send them, sustain them, that are already sent. That's what we do each week. And then save more from every people group on the planet. So that's what we're praying for. We're praying for laborers in the harvest, and we're praying for a harvest of lost people. So that's what we're praying. Look in Acts 13 again. Look at verse 2. It was while they were praying that missionaries were, were set apart, and they didn't send them until they had prayed for them. So again, let me say, the Celebrate Unplugged on Sunday night, we're here to celebrate the Lord of the harvest and to pray and send out the laborers to the harvest. What is praying? It's the practice of intercede, interceding for the global harvest in three ways. It's very important. Intentional informed and involved that's how you pray intentional informed and involved listen folks when jesus and i i I preached on this from jonah last week a little bit when jesus looked out at the harvest and said the laborers are few what's the first thing he said to do pray therefore pray i mean this is the son of god and he's looking out and he's saying hey the harvest is rich there are people that god wants to call from among the lost listen but laborers are few 
So what should we do? Pray for more dreams? No. What should we do? Pray for more money? No. What should we do? Pray for the Lord to send more harvest, more laborers. And notice, just to balance what I've been saying, he doesn't say pray that parents would send out their children. It's the Lord who leads. It's the Lord who sends. But we, as parents and as a church, we need to let them go. And we need to release them and encourage them and sustain them. Now, let me say this about prayer. It's an obvious point. The only people that are going to pray for missionaries are who? The church. It's, it's the only people that are going to pray for missionaries, and let me even narrow it, are world Christians. Because there's a whole lot of Christians that don't pray for missionaries. The only people that are going to be sustaining these missionaries are God's people who have God's heart. That's why we're going through Jonah upstairs. We've got to get God's heart. Now, here's the thing. We'll never pray about what we don't know about. So you've got to get informed. And so what happens every morning in our discovery class, from the children all the way through the adults, Randy and Audra help me have global partner updates each week. And then, if you're on our Facebook page, we have global partner supplication updates and alerts where you can get immediate alerts to praying. And then, that's what World Outreach is all about, is to get them informed so you pray. Secondly, we'll never pray about what we don't make a priority and plan for. So get intentional. So that's why, and I didn't pick one up today, that's why we have the handouts each week for you to intentionally pray for the missionaries during the week. Okay, so they're always sitting over there. All right? And then we never pray about what we don't care about. The biggest thing that will get you praying for missionaries is to come to World Outreach, meet them, love on them, eat with them, have a dessert with them, and get involved in what they're doing. That's really the goal in the structure. And by the way, we structure our world outreach celebration. It, we, we're swimming upstream on this. Churches, by and large, do not have a Wednesday to Sunday night conference anymore. It used to be all week that churches had all week, okay? We're swimming upstream. And our missions commission sits down and evaluates this. Okay, man, this, this is somewhat of a strain. Is this... But there, listen, the only alternative that we can find, and if you have another one, man, we're open to ideas. But the only alternative we see to what we're doing is where we have a different missionary each week, which means they show up Sunday morning, they teach or preach, and then they leave. And Pastor Bruce and I will have lunch with them, and you don't get to interact with them. The reason we do this from Wednesday to Sunday night is that you have time to literally hear from all four couples and you have time to hang with them, interact with them, and learn from them. And then we even do things with them Thursday and Friday during the day that you're welcome. You, know, you come ask me, what are we doing? I'll tell you what we're doing. You can come hang with them if you are off work. So that's the practice of praying. What about the practice of giving? 
Because I want to warn you, if you start praying, you're going to start giving. And if you're giving, you're going to want to be praying. So here's the practice of giving. You say, Chris, what's that? It's learning to give consistently, generously, and sacrificially to advance global disciple making. Now, guys, listen, each one of these definitions, I have labored over the, the wording and thought through. What does this mean? And there you have, like in one sentence, what it means to be giving. And notice the key word. How do I learn? How, how do I, what's giving? It's a learning process. Okay? And you start where you can, and then you learn how to give consistently, learn how to give more generously, learn how to give sacrificially. And it's a glorious and, and, and it can be painful at times, but God grows your faith through it. And I see nodding heads. Why? Because you've been there. You know. I don't think I can give this, but you know what? I'm going to trust God. I'm going to give it anyway. And I'll cut on other areas instead of cutting where it invests in mission. So look at Acts 13.2 again. I think this is so important. You say, well, I don't see any money in this passage exchanging hands. Well, believe me. They needed money back then just as much as we do. But notice the giving is in verse 2. Set apart for me. Listen, folks. The, the battle in giving is settled when you've given the Lord yourself. When you've given all that you are to Him, then giving a portion back to Him is not a problem. So notice how I defined it here. Giving is the practice of giving ourselves fully to God so that we can order our lifestyles in ways to liberate us to give consistently, generously, and sacrificially. You've got to order your budget. You've got to have a budget. You've got to order your budget. So I'm going to give to what is most important. So how do you do this, Chris? Well, it begins with giving yourself. That's what 2 Corinthians 8. 2 Corinthians 8 talks about the Macedonians who were persecuted and poor. If anybody had an excuse not to give, it would be, I'm being persecuted (laughs) to the point where I have no money. And yet, you know what they did? Paul used the Macedonians as an example of sacrificial givers. And he said, now get this, only God can do this. Out of their poverty, they gave generously. And he said, and this is how they did it. They first gave themselves to the Lord. That's where it all is. You say, well, I just have, you know, if I gave a portion, we tithe to the Lord 10% off the top of what he gives to us. On top of that, we give to faith promise. And that's what your faith promise commitment is. But listen, you say, well, if I tithe and then I give on top of that, boy, I just have a little amount. But you know what? When you combine that little amount with all of us, it becomes a significant amount. And God understands where you're at, and he wants to grow you in that. All I know is this. We're all going to meet the Macedonians someday. And they're going to be standing there, and Jesus is going to point to them and say, these people out of their poverty gave generously, 
consistently and sacrificially. Let's join them. Let's join them in that. That's pretty cool. Okay. So, when I'm talking about giving, every, and I've told you this several times, but every month, and this is a unique time for Gwen and I, every month in the month of October, I always rededicate and offer up with an open hand uh, our daughter to the Lord. Well, this is the first time she's in another country for a year, maybe two years, maybe the rest of her life. I don't know. And let me be clear. She's not doing, she's not there as a missionary. She's there as a teacher for her career on the mission field, but being a witness for Jesus Christ. Just open-handed. But that happened the minute after she was born. I mean, within the first minutes of she was born, I held her, leaned over Gwen, who was just so refreshed and rejuvenated, and we dedicated that child to the Lord. And you know what I've learned? you got to keep doing that. you got to keep doing it. Okay, you say, well, I don't have children. You can pray and dedicate the children in our church. You can be planting seeds in them. Dedicate yourself. Dedicate those God has given you and then dedicate your finances. All right, now let's move into these last two practices. Practice number five, the practice of welcoming. Okay, what do I mean by welcoming? This was the one that when I took perspectives, this is, I I just, nobody taught me about this. The practice of welcoming. Connecting with those from other cultures who come to us. Move into our community, which they are doing, and cross our paths, which you can't be in Kansas City unless you're a hermit, and not cross paths with people from other cultures and need or need our compassion. So that's where welcoming happens, okay? And as I said, if we had time, I would take you to Acts 11. And the church at Antioch started by Jewish Christians beginning for the first time in the history of the church speaking to Greek lost people about Jesus. This church was birthed out of a welcoming community okay secondly the jews in jerusalem sent barnabas whose nickname was the encourager the exhorter they sent him up to see what was going on and he runs over and grabs newly converted saul that nobody really wanted to hang with and brought him in, welcomed him into the church of Antioch, and Barnabas and Saul began to teach and disciple, evangelize, evangelize, disciple, evangelize some more, disciple some more. And then in Acts 13, it's the same Barnabas and Saul that are then sent out. What I'm trying to say to you is this whole church, its day-to-day life was welcoming to people who were different. In other words... They didn't unite around being Democrat or Republican. They didn't unite over what news cable you watch. They didn't unite over who they voted for president. What they united around was the Lord of the harvest and his mission. Therefore, they were able to welcome and unite under what's most important, okay? 
And so uh, let me give you a couple definitions. I've got some definitions here because welcoming has to do with two ways to welcome. The migrant crisis, and it is a crisis. It's a crisis for the people who are migrating, and it becomes a crisis for the nations that they're pouring into, okay? But it also involves international students. But I just, giving you some definitions here, and if you want those definitions, uh, text me, email me, I'll send them to you. But it helps not to lump everybody into one category. You have immigrants, someone who has relocated for whatever reason. Refugee, someone who has left their country to escape war, natural disaster, or the fear of persecution based on race, religion, nationality, or political opinion, and has registered as such. Asylum seeker, someone who appears to be a refugee, but has not been officially registered or evaluated internationally displaced person. That's someone who is still in their country, but they're displaced out of their homes within that country. So here's what that, this is what this does for me, is we just don't lump them in to this group that's over there. No, there's issues and there's reasons, and we want to think through that. So here's the quote, though, I want you to see. A staggering 42,000 plus people are uprooted every day. Every day, 42,500 people are uprooted. That's one person every two seconds. Every two seconds. People are being displaced. And you see it on the news. Half of them are children. Right? Over the millennia, a few few people have moved willingly, but far more have been moved under duress. All of them dealt with upheaval, inconvenience, economic struggle, homesickness, and rape, persecution, and death. Many people think of immigrants, refugees, sometimes even internationals, as those people. They're the other, okay? Listen, this isn't about politics at this point. Now, a lot of this, first of all, let me just say this, and i got to move on. First of all, most of this is dealt with at the national level. Our church can't change any of that. It's dealt with, and that is a political issue, get informed, vote, okay? Some of this, much of this, is dealt with as at a personal level when you encounter. Very little of this can be dealt with as a church. And here's what happens with these issues. Is people want to bring the political issues and try to solve political issues and have the church solve political... We don't solve political issues. We can't. That's One, that's not our calling. Okay, And then secondly, a lot of people are moved with compassion for these people and they want the church to do what they ought to be doing as individuals. You know, our church, no, you, you, you're motivated. You go and, and do whatever it is God is calling you. But we'll, we'll be here to help you. We'll be here to encourage you. And so what happens is we take all of these volatile issues and we... We lay them at the feet of our pastors. We lay them at the feet of our church and say, okay, this is a church issue. Well, no, some of it's a national issue. Much of it is a personal issue. And here's the thing that I'm trying to get you to see is wade through all the 
divisive stuff and just say, how do I welcome people that cross my path on an everyday basis? Does that make sense? How do I think about the people I see at the grocery store? How, do, how am I moved? So like Thanksgiving, uh, and Gwen and I may be on vacation, but I've done this, we've done this every year for years. Thanksgiving, we have turkeys that we're going to give out to families through Davidson Elementary. Okay, and we partner with a small group from Pleasant Valley Baptist Church and we do this together. Well, that's something we can do here, hands-on. And I always need help handing out these turkeys. So if you're interested in that, I will take your help. Please come and see me. Well, finally, let's talk about the practice of mobilizing. Mobilizing. Oh, and let me just say this on uh, welcoming. Here's the bottom line. You can cut through the politics and really with this one simple phrase, do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. Just do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. Okay, practice of mobilizing, empowering others to find and fulfill their roles. God has shaped them for to fulfill the Great Commission. When you look at Acts 13, 1 through 3, this is what the church did. This church was mobilized. It was mobilized. And so as a leader here in our church, I want to mobilize you. It's the practice of helping others have an everyone to everywhere God moment. I hope that you are on that process. So here's what I want you to do. Application, it comes down to this. Just come this week. Come this week with an open heart. Dedicate yourself to growing in these six practices. Discover the practice that motivates you, and it'll keep you motivated. And then develop all six in and through our church. This is what we're about right here. Father, pray. Make us world-changing Christians. Let us take a step of faith. Grow us. Deepen our love for you so we'll have a deeper love for the lost. We pray these things in Jesus' name.